Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Doing great. Doing great. Just setting everything up right now, getting ready. And uh, we're just going to jump right into it. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself for everybody. This is uh, the ericswanracing.com podcast. And I have Jackson Blackman on today. I think this is episode 43 or 44, maybe. Um, and tell me, tell me who you are. Yes, I'm Jackson Blackman out of Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm 19 years old, and uh, this has been my sixth season racing professionally in Middle America. I've been riding bikes since I was about eight years old, and and uh, my dad, Chuck Blackman, used to be a former racer in AMA and raced the Harley 883 series, and so he kind of got me started in racing, and then uh, back when I was probably about 12 years old, started going to the big tracks, getting more serious, and and everything just kind of led its way to this point. So your family has a history of racing then? Yeah. And so I bet that helps out a lot. You can kind of, uh, you know, talk to him about different ideas you have or ask him questions about certain situations. I'm sure that's very helpful. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's definitely been a, a blessing to have my dad who, who raced before me and and kind of knew the right people and and way to kind of bring me up in racing that I kind of felt was the the right way looking back everything now and starting out kind of letting me uh, become interested in it myself and then as I kind of showed more interest he kind of you know got more involved and of course I had enough skill to, to get me going and get me started and then you know meet other people down the road that's kind of helped get me to this point but definitely majority of it's come from him and his experience and you know, being my dad, crew chief, mechanic, you know, all the above. So is that always the plan before you were born to get you into racing or did it just kind of happen? It's actually kind of a funny story. He got me uh, a little Honda 50 when I was maybe like seven years old or six, somewhere around there. And I was terrified of it at first. You know, like now I see like kids, you know, rather PW 50s are like two or three years old, but at like six or seven, I was terrified. Yeah. And then right when he was getting ready to, to sell the bikes and just kind of, you know, let everything, you know, kind of go and see what else I'd be interested in. Um, right when he was getting ready to sell the bike, I actually just started showing a lot of interest and wanted to go ride all the time. And then and then it just kind of never stopped from there. Right as it was going away, you're like, no, I want that now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that seems to be how it goes. <laughs> And so uh, you progressed from 50s and moved on from there. You know, I'm actually looking at buying a 50cc. Uh, I've never had one before. Um, I've rode one around my, my friends and here, here and there, but uh, I don't have a ton of experience with the small bikes. So I'm looking to try to do that. And there's a cart track that's really close to my house. They have timing and scoring. A lot of my friends do that. Um, you might know John Hawkins and Carl Soltes. Uh, they, they go there. They race Moto America 600 class. Um, uh some entries here and there it's certain rounds um but yeah it's it's great training for for adults and children it seems yeah it's definitely was cool that the uh i still go ride now a good bit at the heron compound in dublin georgia at josh heron's place and actually it was like my my first race there was on my little sierra 50 yeah and i think from what i remember i actually went out on the track backwards my idea my dad <laughs> chased me down turned me around and and then now to this day, now I ride the the R3 out there to the XR100, just kind of, I think the kart tracks are awesome for training. And then you go on the big track and it feels like so, 
so much room like for speed and to push you know so they'll allow you to ride a 300 on those uh, cart tracks yeah yeah i think the it seemed like ashton yates was the first one i saw to kind of he took his ktm uh, rc390 out there and was testing it before when all that stuff was happening like 2015 um and then more recently um he started riding his, his ninja 400 out there and then i was like well shoot i got a, a stock r3 uh, in my house and so me and my dad just cut the we took everything's pretty much stock except it has a exhaust on it okay and we put slicks on it uh put a good front brake cut the the rear sets in half so they wouldn't drag yeah and then it's been running ever since like for a good three years of riding on it and just changing the oil a little stuff like that and even with stock suspension it's not too bad yeah i mean you can uh you can get away with it and you're just learning right now and and feeling the bike it's a practice bike so you don't need top of the line stuff you can just uh ride it as is on a, as, as stock it's still great it's just not uh perfect yeah yeah for sure and even when i was racing the the junior cup on the the graves r3 thing and whenever I'd get on the, the race bike after practice on the stock bike, it just, everything would feel so nice. Like, so like felt so spoiled on the, on the race bike versus living with all the, the soft suspension on the, the stock bike and all the bumps and everything. And then hop on the, the grays R three and it felt like crazy good. But it's, I think it's important to, to have gone through those, those years of riding those kind of bikes um, and, and to practice on them because it does make you better. You ride around things that you wouldn't maybe otherwise yeah yeah for sure I think that uh and I'm I don't for say have an exact uh you know enough, enough experience to say like one way is right or wrong but in in my head I seem to think that that there's no big rush into getting up on on big bikes real quick and everything and I mean I was still uh race junior cup in 2019 when I was 17 years old which I know to some people may be a little old on the, on a little bike, but it just, my dad kind of always had the theory of, you know, um, running at the front of one class before moving up to the next or, you know, like winning an amateur for expert and then, you know, kind of going that route. And, and so far it's definitely seemed to, to help me to, to fully, you know, or to the best I can kind of fully use the bike I have before, you know, adding the power and weight of the next bike. Yeah, I'm always an advocate for trying to go as far as possible. Um, you know, I, I always stayed on a 600. I never moved up from a 600 uh, to a thousand because I told myself I don't need to uh, until I win a world championship on a 600. I still have tons to learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, crazy to see like some, you know, some street guys just go by a, by 1000 and, you know, then the, <laughs> they missed so many learning curves from the, the previous bikes, but definitely agree with you there. Like on the, you know, especially on a 600 with so many, you know, world level riders racing them. Like there's always, always something to improve on and, and to go faster on. Yeah. And even the fastest guys are going faster every time. If the conditions are right, they always are setting lap records. And that's just, it, it amazes me because it may be only a couple of tenths faster, but, nobody's ever done that before that's the first time that's ever happened it happens like every other weekend yeah yeah the Met america stuff it is crazy because I, I mean i've been racing there for a, a decent amount and always get to always like to go watch all the guys and 
seems like no matter who's in the classes or, you know, the competitive level is always there, like, you know, going and watch qualifying. And then just when you think it's, you know, that's a track record already, then in the race, they'll go break that. And then, you know, it's, it's crazy on the, to see how much like literally if there's just like some clouds in the sky or not, how it could affect the lap times. And, you know, whenever they're pushing that hard, everything's so finicky at that level, you know, it could be a suspension setting or a tire pressure, or you've got the wrong tire compound for that event. It could be so many different things or the rider, you know, uh, had, had a bad day. You never know what could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember actually the, uh, I think it was 2019. I was racing junior cup at uh, VIR and we went out on slicks and then it started to drizzle rain and I crashed along with a bunch of other riders on the first lap. And then we rushed in to get the bike together and everybody, you know, it looked like it was going to stay dry, but we had figured since we didn't know if we we're going to make it out in time, we're like, well, why not throw on the reins, you know? And so we threw on the reins and I ended up finding out that if you missed a siding lap, you're supposed to start last. Uh, so I, I missed a siding lap, but I made the warm up lap. And so maybe I should have looked at the rules a little bit better. Cause I thought as long as I made the warm up lap, I started my spot. So I grid up on the third row with the reins and it starts pouring rain on the, on the grid. And I start looking at everybody's tires and see a bunch of slicks. And I was like, well, th this is looking pretty good. And then, and then crossed the line first, but then found out about the, the penalty from the start. I got penalized 20 seconds, so ended up second. Well, that's still, pretty, still pretty good. Cool but how the, yeah with the weather worked out, like, even though we were scrambling to get the bike together, it actually was kind of an advantage to wait and see what the weather was going to do. Yeah, you know, um, in the heat of the moment, it's, it's really easy to make those uh, tiny mistakes. It seems like a tiny mistake, right? Just not uh, go into the right place in your grid, but um, it's good they didn't disqualify you. At least you got to a, a podium out of it and a good finish in the rain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely, I've, uh, it's funny, the guys at Moto America say I, I test all the, all their rules, uh, <laughs> like at Road America, I had a, a jump start penalty, uh, in 2017, and then I'd never, um, it's my second full season at Moto America, but I never jumped to start before Moto America, and maybe was a bit oblivious to, to how their ride-through works. And so I thought it was like a weird race where you can go wide open, hot pit, and then stop and then go. And so I come up, uh, come up the hill at Road America beside Ben Smith, and we're looking at each other going up, and I'm going into the pits, and he's on the main straight. And then all I done hot pit, I was just like almost wide open, like looking at Ben. He's looking back at me. And then uh, <laughs> half the people I see are like saying to slow down. Half of them are just like screw it, keep going. And so I rode through there. And then thought I still got second. Um, and then, of course, when I came in, got a big penalty. And uh, I think I'd hit, like, I think I have the record for the fastest speed <laughs> through hot pit at, like, I don't know, maybe 85 mile an hour or something like that through hot pit, which, of course, is not anything to brag about. But I just was kind of – I learned the hard way with how the, the rules and stuff are in Middle America compared to, like, some of the club racing stuff. <laughs> Yeah, they're a little bit more strict, and uh, it matters more when you get those penalties. So do you have a pit limiter now on your bike? So actually, in the, the Twins Cup, we don't, we don't have the pit limiters. Um, 
we technically could have it, but it's just kind of a little, you know, now I just make sure that, you know, go way under the speed and kind of, now we have an idea from the dyno and stuff. I kind of around what RPM and what gear um, to stay below. And so of course in qualifying and practice and stuff, there's no need to, to get a fine for get to the crew like 30 seconds sooner. So I always just kind of take my time now. And I've learned too from a couple jump starts that it's definitely not worth it. The the 22nd or the ride through penalty the, or the 22nd penalty is definitely not worth a you know a few a, a wheel or bike length off the start. Yeah. It's uh it seems like a really harsh penalty, but you have to you have to stop that because you can't have people jumping the start, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Even uh my dad joked about he is curious if anybody's ever jumped the start on purpose, like as soon as the race started. Yeah. And then if they came and did the ride through, if it was still equal out, but I'm sure that if you go before the the, the green flag, it probably count as, as no lap. <laughs> Well, uh, Jorge Lorenzo did that really early in one of the races, and he was just like, he paused for a second. He's like, I, I'm going to keep going because they're going to start anyway. Uh, but yeah, it happens. Uh, everybody makes mistakes. Um, and are these jump starts from flags or lights? Um, majority for me has been from the lights. From lights? Um, I seem to get a little bit antsy on the okay. grid. And and it's when the lights go out. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the, I think the lights cut on for, I believe they set two to five seconds, somewhere in there, like random timing. But sometimes it just feels like so long. It's been like the longest five seconds of my life on the grid, you know. Just Everything just slows down. Start. Yeah. Um, are you a good starter if you get a good start? I'd say I'm a pretty decent starter. Um, I've never had the like any terrible starts per se. Um, but definitely like at, at tracks like uh, VIR and Redland and stuff, the start's real important. Starting into like a, you know, a nice like tech technical section there. And, and so I think from all the club racing and stuff, I get pretty, pretty decent starts. Um, but I'm definitely no like Mike Alessi or anything like that. Yeah. Um... You got to be careful. You can't uh, stuff it up the inside too hard because you might take someone out. And that's the worst thing is hitting somebody else. Um, it's one thing if you take yourself out, but you never want to hit someone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even at, uh, yeah, I kind of learned my lesson with that at uh, Laguna in 2017. I, I got a good start. Um, I was behind Corey Ventura. I think, I think I was in second at Laguna. Um but for only a couple of turns as we went into turn two at Laguna and then it looked like uh, Corey had the door open some. So I tried to go up under the inside, got on the gas too hard. And then my teammate Ben Smith had nowhere to go and then ran me over. And then and I was like, yeah, looking back at that, it would have been a lot better just to sit behind Corey for, you know, at least a couple of turns there and not get too anxious off the start more about patience right it's not a eight lap sprint race anymore it's uh 20 well it depends on the track could be up to 20 laps yeah yeah i think the i feel like the longest race seemed to be like at at road america it's just like such a long waiting game like on those long straights i'm sure i'm sure on a 600 1000 it doesn't feel as long but especially when you race the ktm cut bikes there it'd just be like 
it felt like a minute straight away, <laughs> like just sitting there, like just wide open for the 30 seconds at a time. Yeah. And it's more like uh, a couple of drag strips connected with some turns. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be how it feels. The, uh, especially there, like the draft and everything is such a big factor. You know, if there's a headwind or tailwind and, and stuff like that will determine like how the whole race goes. Those long straightaways tend to lend themselves to large groups, especially for the junior cup bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Even like the, this past year, I love just even watching the, the junior cup races. Cause it's always so, especially knowing like being in those races, how like half the time, you know, at least when I was in those scenarios, I didn't even know how it was going to play out. Just kind of doing the best you can. Yeah. You always kind of have an idea in your, in your head of what you'd like to do. And then, and then you get stuffed by one guy, another guy comes around and you're like, well, what now, you know? And then as you're thinking that it's already a few turns to go or whatever it is. And it's always some good racing. Do you usually have in your head, oh, I'm good in turn three or turn four. Uh, that's where I'm going to make my move or just whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I always try and have some sort of a plan. Um, but sometimes it's tough. Like at in KTM Cup, it would always work out with all the bikes the same. I always knew that if I was behind a guy and I was, and I was also a, a real small rider then, um, that like if I was behind like my teammate Ben Smith, then I could pretty much draft by him like anywhere. Um, and so that was definitely a nice like advantage of my size and stuff. Whereas in Twins Cup, it seems like it um, like last year's a lot more of, of setting up and and the Yamaha and Suzuki's have different strengths. And so um, it was definitely like a lot more strategy involved and in trying to like set somebody up and, you know, unless there's, a mistake or something that's just kind of like a, a last second lunge or, or something like that. And there's not a lot of mistakes at that level. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. The, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm on a real fast lap and they come around and see them and, you know, P six or whatever. And then like Rocco come by me, I just try and, you know, latch on to latch down behind him or, or whatever it is. And, and uh, it's definitely, I, I never realized how that, that the Twins Cup um, could be like so competitive. Like now putting the the lightweight class in Middle America, um, you know, before we were doing at VR and like the SV challenge, um, which I think was with CCS maybe. Um, There's a bunch of fast SV guys, maybe like a 20 rider grid of SVs. And I think the fastest was like Xavier did a, maybe 32 or 33 with like Pirelli's on. And I did like a 34 or 35. I felt like that was like really fast. And then I think when they raced it last time, which I'm sure they'll go even faster this year was like a, a 31 or something like that, which is, is crazy fast for the, the lightweight bikes. They're moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going really fast there. there. It's uh, it's tough though. You know, being yeah, at a yeah, hard track hard like VIR, like with the elevation yeah, and just the, the layout of the track, it's, uh, it's difficult uh, it's with difficult anybody. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's actually pretty crazy there. It's like, you know, I live in Rock Hill, South Carolina, but it's kind of like my home track. Uh, so I've been riding there since I was on a uh, – my dad had me an RS125 chassis with a Honda 150R motor in it. 
And so, I mean, it was real slow, but it was like a great bike to learn on stuff when I was younger. And so I've been riding there since I was on that thing. And then, you know, to the junior cup bikes and the twins and, and all that. So it's definitely cool to have experience on the, on the same track for a long time. Feels like it's, you know, kind of a, definitely a slight advantage. Oh yeah. Yeah. You see your progression over the time. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit more understanding. understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, and also I, I guess I never thought about too, the conditions as well as knowing how the track is, if it's a little cold where, you know, some of the West coast guys aren't, aren't used to the, the cold weather here. And you know that it, you know, maybe the track isn't that bad in the cold and be able to go out and, and rip by somebody when it's a little bit colder or something, you know, that that's always kind of a nice feeling to kind of know the, know the track condition better than the next guy. You ever been in the Northern tracks when it's actually snowing? snowing? No, not that, that seems pretty scary to me. It was. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, in Michigan at Granton Raceway, it was actually snowing on the track. There was ice in turn one and like turn six. I think we, they asked us to take our vehicles out on the track so we could break up the ice. Dang, that to me would be really scary because I know even I've had a, a time or two where, you know, nobody's perfect and maybe the the breaker tripped on the RV or something and my tires were a little cold before I went out and that was kind of scary, but I could not imagine like ice or snow. Like, I mean, it was just a track day, but uh, I liked it. I like riding in difficult conditions because it just challenges you. That's how you get better. Uh, I advanced from, from novice, novice track day rider to intermediate um, in the rain because no, one, no else one else was, was wanted, to, wanted ride. to ride. It was me and two other two instructors, other instructors and one and of the one other of the instructors, instructors crashed, crashed. and uh, I got I got bumped up because he said, if you could ride through this, you could ride through anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the uh, it's definitely crazy how, especially like when it rains and stuff, how it it brings out like, you know, maybe where the, sometimes the bike isn't as good. Uh, the rain seems to, everybody calls the, the equal equalizer um, of skill and bike and everything, you know, like with the, with the conditions playing a part of, of kind of leveling everything out. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not and saying I'm not I was saying going, going fast, fast, but uh, I didn't crash. <laughs> yeah. I stayed on the but, bike and you just learn. Just learn. Yeah, that's always a good thing. And and even uh, when I was about 12, I started going out to, I don't know if you've heard of the place Corner Spin before. Oh, yeah. In North okay. Carolina. So, like, a, so, like a teaching, teaching a, lesson a lesson place. place. Yeah. And uh, the guy, Aaron Stevenson, uh, would teach me a lot there. He ended up coaching me for a few years. And, and now I actually go help instruct some there uh, with some street guys and stuff. i getting comfortable when there's, you know, not a lot of traction and, and staying on top of the bike and all that stuff. And, and, you know, just being safe too, even for street riders and stuff, it's always good to, to know when the conditions are changing, it's to not get tensed up or scared or anything, you know, just kind of relax and, and be aware of everything going on. I found, I found in, the, in rain, the rain at first, I rode totally differently with my body, with my position, body position and everything. And, everything. and I was like, and why, I was am, like, I why am I changing it? it? I, should I should be accentuating what I was doing before, not being, being uh, 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 stiffening, uh, stiffening up, up 
and not writing writing right yeah it seems yeah it definitely seems weird in the rain i feel like i'm gonna try like like uh supermoto kind of yeah yeah maybe not quite to that extent but you know lifting the bike up and being real easy and i've always kind of been fairly decent the rain um but actually it's kind of weird to think about this past year i don't think we had one one rain race this year's completely completely rainy yeah (laughs) that seems to be how it would go (laughs) uh do you prefer the rain races or do you like them to be dry dry, intermediate intermediate. Um, my favorite is probably just straight dry you know like just being able to go out and push and um but i have been a fan of like like drying tracks or when it's like damp like where it's wet enough for rains but it's not like pouring rain you know normally you know i don't exactly get the conditions i always want um but i've always kind of liked being able to rip in the you know with the rains on you know being like knee down the wet when it's just you know it's wet enough but not you know not a a monsoon or anything and and it seems definitely be fun to to kind of ride a little it's almost like uh ride in the dry with hot slicks you know of course not exactly the same but (laughs) semi-similar i think there's a huge um Um, opportunity opportunity in the drying conditions where it's raining or drying that people can excel because not 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 a lot of people want to push push. they want to be patient they want to be be cautious cautious. and And if you have something to prove prove, you can can excel excel there it's risky but you could do it yeah for sure i think that's even where uh jd beach got his first win at vr i think it was some like mixed conditions uh where he kind of played the cards right and and uh but i've definitely noticed when it comes to the the top tier riders it seems like they're normally normally conditioned to be good and in a lot of different uh scenarios and conditions and and uh definitely don't see the the big guys make make many mistakes even when the conditions are rough and stuff like that they're just good everywhere yeah (laughs) it's hard to do that that. so now also one thing i was going to ask you and everything's been flowing real good i like how you had the the podcast set up so what how'd you kind of start into into this stuff so i started podcasting a couple months ago uh back in may um but i wanted to do it for years I just didn't know how to start. Um, and then I, I got kind of fed up with not doing it and not putting on new content because I, I stopped racing. So I'm not racing motorsports right now just because of the finances of everything. Um, and I'm working on my business. So in order to promote my business, I wanted to create original content. And I had kind of posted every single picture that I had ever gotten that was good for racing. And I ran out of you know new new material. So I'm like, what can I do? that's new, that's, I'm still involved in the motorsport community. And I have a network of all these people that I know. Um, how can I use this to my advantage? And uh, I wanna also you know, connect with people I haven't met before like yourself, um, connect with, race, with racers, mechanics, crew chiefs. Maybe I'll get a ride one day from this. You never know. Um, yeah. You know, just networking I think is a, is a great thing to do. I'm trying to promote my business, ericswanracing.com. Everybody should go there and spend all their money, please. Um, I sell race parts. I sell all kinds of stuff, um, motorcycle parts, 
for, for racing, for cars, car parts. Um, I have a little bit of mountain bike and motocross gear and, and uh, just trying to promote all that stuff. So I have about 40 some podcasts right now. I've gone on two other podcasts trying to just promote everything. And um, it's like, I want to go on the news and just get as many eyeballs as possible. I'm trying to get um, bigger guests like yourself um, to help try to promote everything. And, um, you know, if we get some, some movie star, then you get thousands of views just overnight. It's, it's like, uh, that's kind of how it works, you know? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I've noticed this year, um, you know, like right now I don't exactly have uh, a ride for this year or I'm, I'm still getting stuff worked out um, and, you know, doing everything I can to, to make sure something happens. And, and I feel pretty sure I'll be racing at least one way or another. Um, but I definitely realized the importance of the, you know, like social networking and, and having a good following and, and how that stuff matters more almost now than, than just the racing, like, especially with the, you know, the Corona and all the stuff happened last year and, and falling into this year, it seems like everybody's, you know, struggling, but when it comes to where you can show firsthand, uh, you know, electronically, like, Hey, so I've reached all these people and these people have visited my stuff and, you know, it's like straight evidence to, to why like you're a good candidate to, to, you know, to have sponsors and support from people and, and to push a product or a brand and everything. And that's one thing I've been trying to work on is, is trying to post more. And I actually always see you on my feed a lot. Oh, that's great. You're definitely doing good because I always see your, your stuff. And, and uh, so lately I've been trying to, to post more and, and trying to create like new stuff. Like you said, it, it's real easy to run out of, you know, the same looking racing photos and stuff and trying to branch out into to different things and, it's definitely cool. I like, do this podcast here. I haven't, I think the only other one I did was with Mo America once. Um, but this one's going much better because I, I was actually kind of sick in that one. Oh, yeah. So my voice is kind of all like groggy and stuff. Uh, yeah, and this I think is it's just cool open, too, like, and, way. open and flowing. And I have, I have no bullet points or no notes, which is maybe a bad thing sometimes. But um, yeah. I, I've noticed that when I do, like I've had it on many, many podcasts where I have 10 bullet points. I, I try to I, at least make, so I don't run out of topics, but I feel like when I do that, it becomes very question and answer type of interview show. And I don't really want to do interview show. I want to have a conversation with you and ask you questions off the top of my head. And some of them, like, um, I wanted to ask you certain things like that I have stored in there, but if I get to most of them, great. You don't have to hit every single one. Um, and for certain guests, like who's maybe uh, an author, I might have different agenda, right? But uh, it all depends on who I'm talking to. Yeah, definitely. Like, dude, I've never done a like any kind of interview or podcast or anything like like face to face. That was like electronically. I think that helps a lot too. Like being able to flow like seeing somebody like their face too I think helps like the connection it seems to me like and be able to to flow along sorry it feels like I've known you for a while at this point you know yeah you know I think in person is definitely better because you uh you see their mannerisms on here it's it's really easy to talk over people and um and interrupt and then the other person is still talking and they don't they don't hear it it's just not the best communication style 
but I'll take it for now because I, I can't fly you out to Michigan and put you up in a hotel yet. Uh, I yeah. can't really do that right now. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, I've been just working on my business, uh, ericswanracing.com and shopesr.com is my, my website. I sell a lot on eBay. I sell on Amazon. I sell on the local marketplace, Craigslist. And uh, I don't really use Facebook Marketplace, but that's an option I can do. Um, and so um, I, got a, I got some workers that are helping me out and just trying to list all, all kinds of new products all the time. I'm in constant um, contact with them every day, talking back and forth with what we need to do and what we need to accomplish. We're getting some uh, driven racing products online as we speak. And uh, Roland Sands Designs, all their apparel stuff we're selling, um, selling Bonamici rear sets, easy grip tank grips. Um, we're a Moto D vendor, so we have tire warmers and, and um, bike stands. We have spark exhausts. We have Akrapovic or Akrapovic, however you want to say it. And uh, we have M4 performance exhaust. We don't have them online yet, but we ha also have Carvin car exhausts. Um, so those are pretty cool. And uh, we have Cosmos racing wheels for cars. Don't have, uh, we well, actually, we are a core moto dealer, but not much of it is online yet. Uh, that's one we're working on as well. Um, so brake lines, they have uh, all kinds of brake lines, but they have forged aluminum rims as well. So um, that's a great product that helps you go faster. They might have the magnesium ones too, uh, but a lot of them, they're trying to make them all in-house, which takes a lot of time and machinery and, and R&D and you know, errors and time and process to get it right. So um, it's taking a little longer to, to manufacture them, but they're doing it in the USA right in-house, uh, right in which is pretty cool. Yeah, that actually reminds me, I was surprised I haven't brought anything up yet. My dad actually uh, owns a machine shop Okay. Um, kind of like a job shop, and he has the, I believe, four mills and four lathes. Um, and so I do a lot of work in there, you know, during the season, off season to, you know, to help pay for the the racing and stuff. And even the past few years, we made some parts for some of the KTM Cup bikes and and stuff like that. And uh, it's definitely real cool stuff. Like even the the lightweight wheels you're talking about, we had some. Um, I think the Bramley's last year were Dimac, but of course all the Ford's aluminum stuff is all, you know, real similar. And, and that's one thing I noticed a big difference. And even on the bike, like the difference in the lightweight wheels, you know, everything's spinning quicker and, and all that stuff definitely makes more of a difference. than I think some people realize. Yeah. That rotational mass is one of the biggest performance upgrades you can do, you know, suspension tires and brakes, and then your, um, I mean, rims are not the next thing I would really buy, but if you if you want to upgrade the the best bang for your buck, that's one of the that's one of them. Um, I mean, a stabilizer that's that's so basic though. That's like almost mandatory. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and also, I was gonna ask, will you be coming out to to some Moto America rounds this year? You know, I'd like to. Um, I don't have any uh, dotted on my schedule yet. Um, everything's been changing. I don't know. Do you think all the rounds are going to be moved around again like there was last year? It's kind of tough to say. Uh, I have a feeling the first few should be good. 
because um, I think they already changed Red Atlanta once. Um, or at least I hope it's where it's at right now, because uh, at least that's where I have my my schedule and everything marked out for. Yeah. Um, but I hope that it, it doesn't go like last year, because I think at least a good part is since Moto America was the first like motorsport back going. Uh, I feel like we have a pretty good grasp on to fit everybody's rules and needs in the in the country to make sure you know we can keep on racing and and uh, I'm hoping you know eventually things will kind of get back to normal you know or this may kind of be the new normal you know for all I know I don't I'm not the most experienced with that stuff so I'm not going to act like I am you know but I just want to want to race and see the the racing climb back up so it just kind of seems like there's a lot of guys struggling right now to to get to the track and that's never a, a good thing to see but it, but yeah it sounds really cool too with the you know like growing the business and stuff and and I hope that at least if you, you know, we meet at a round or something, we could talk and and even do an, uh, another one in person or something. Yeah, that'd be cool for sure. You know, uh, I don't plan on going back to the racetrack and riding myself, unfortunately, for the next probably two or three years. But in, in about two or three years, I will be. Um, that's my plan anyways. Uh, I'm trying to do a whole bunch of things, adult, adult things, which uh, aren't always the most fun. Uh, saving a lot of money. Uh, that's my main goal right now is just saving, trying to stack, stockpile my, my cash. Um, every paycheck, I save tons of money right off the top. It doesn't even, um, doesn't sit there for long. Just goes right into my savings and investing account. And then uh, trying to buy a new truck, buy a house, save save for like a buffer in my, in my savings, you know, you always need that. And uh, emergency fund type thing. Um, and that's... Right, that's like thousands of dollars, eighty thousand dollars. I'm talking about just in savings, and you know, to buy to buy these things. So down payment on a house ain't cheap. Um, and then you know, washer and dryer, possibly, and fridge and a stove, and and all these things. So, uh, but but then yes, uh, it's on my my goal list to buy a motorcycle, uh, buy an actual enclosed trailer because I've always used a Harbor Freight open trailer I built myself. You know. Um, so got to get all that. I got to get some more gear. I do have some things. I, I still have a, a race suit. I need a new helmet cause it's expired and I sold it. Um, and then, uh, I have gloves. I have a back protector. I think I need boots, but you know, with a lot of the vendors I sell, I'm going to buy those parts at cost and maybe they'll help me out with them. Who knows? Um, so I already have my own sponsors in the, in the vendors that I sell. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think what some things that that people don't realize, even like, you know, I've been racing professionally and everything, but you know, I'm just like a a normal guy too. You know, like still got, you know, kind of becoming an adult now, about nineteen, and you know that boring stuff, and and the same time just trying to go racing and not go broke, pretty much. That's, That's the goal is to try and race as much as possible and not go broke and. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, looking at trying to buy a house sometime in the next couple of years and stuff like that. And so I've, you know, even some goals outside of racing. Um, but of course, you know, the main focus, I think right now I have so much time and everything of, of uh, you know, trying to chase this dream, you know, while I can, but also know that it's, you know, not something that goes away. Like the passion for racing, everything is, 
you know, Josh Hayes doesn't stop racing for a long time. Like, there's definitely, definitely time. And even if I don't get to race as much as I would like to this year, if I could at least, you know, save money and, and look at putting something together again for the next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just keep telling myself uh, I can get back to racing as soon as I can afford it. So just make as much money as possible and be really, really strict with your spending. Like don't, don't go out to eat every day or every week, or, you know, just like buy all your groceries and you can buy, uh, you buy a dozen eggs for like a dollar. So there's no excuse for <laughs> if you go to the grocery store uh, and do that, you could eat for that's three days you know, or three meals at least. And, or if you eat out, that could be 10 bucks a meal or $5 a meal. Um, it's, it's way, way higher cost when you're, when you're eating out like that. So just being, being smart with your money, um, is important. And, uh, you know, I plan on buying a house and, and renting out some of the rooms as, as roommates to other people. And I've done that before and I'm doing that now. And I think it's a great way to, to help make extra money on the side. If you don't mind living with somebody else, um, and, you know, picking up a little trash here and there, which is always a little frustrating, but, um, it, <laughs> it, it pays the bills and it's, uh, I think it, it it's really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that the, the race and stuff is, is definitely is pricey. The, uh, you know, like there's so many, you know, even with help, the, uh, you know, just like for instance, in Twins Cups, I've been putting together like the budget and stuff, even uh, not using all the tires in the limit. It's uh, about 1600 a weekend for four sets of tires, like 400 a set, and, and you have to buy them from Dunlop. And, you know, 1600 in the weekend just for tires, you know, is, is crazy. I don't think some people realize how much is, you know, how much money is there. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, if I'm already at the pro race, I'm like, well, I've already spent the money here. You know, if everybody's put on new set for qualifying, I'm put one on too and, you know, figure it out later. Uh, yeah. But then there's some guys, you know, that even, you know, budget off like two sets of tires. And um, and that's kind of sometimes where it's tough to compete with some of the factory teams, which, I mean, last year I had a great team and we had a great program. I was able to be competitive with the, the M M4 and, some of the other Yamahas and stuff. And, uh, uh, but definitely this year, um, I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing yet, but whatever it is, might be a little more, more on a budget, but sometimes kind of gives a little more motivation too, to kind of, you know, ride through what you can. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's just so important to, uh, to ride through those challenges and it just, it makes you a better person. It's, it builds that character yeah for sure it's definitely one thing i've noticed is sometimes the the best races i have is when like something bad happens beforehand uh it just kind of like it's like that little extra motivation um like even at uh utah 2017 um i got food poisoning actually on the on saturday night and then i didn't think i was gonna be a race on sunday uh, cause I had to like constantly go to the bathroom in the morning and stuff and was taking like Pepto-Bismol on the grid and stuff. And then, but I ended up just like, you know, and it never, the lights went out, just like kind of forgot about everything, like, you know, overthinking anything on the track and stuff. I was just like focused on like, you know, not throwing up or whatever, you know, and then ended up winning the race. Um, 
you know, of course, the luckily the most of the symptoms kind of came through like the day after, you know, uh, yeah. so it wasn't, you know, terrible. Um, but I feel like it almost kind of helped me just kind of like relax and not put as much pressure kind of knowing there's some adversity there. That's kind of interesting, the psychology there of, of no pressure, so you do better. Um, that happens to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, it's definitely, I know some people are kind of the opposite, but it seems like for me, I kind of am a, a mental mental case, as I've been told in the past, and, and I definitely accept it, you know, but for me, it's like, it seems like when I, I ride the best when I can just get all the stuff out of my head, and so that's one thing I've been working on the last, the last year is just kind of knowing that I control my head and what I think about and, you know, not letting certain things get my head and distract me or, and just kind of knowing at the same time, we are just racing motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah, Put it in perspective. Yeah. Of course the, the pressure and everything, you know, like I know how serious it is and the work it takes and, you know, put in the work and, and definitely take a very professional and serious look on it but then also have to add the the fun factor in too because that's the that's the reason we're doing it especially you know for the majority of us that are you know still paying to race it's got to have some level of fun and and uh like with that passion behind it so you've been racing in moto america this would be what the sixth season yes sir yeah the i raced ktm cup uh the full season in 2016 full season of KTM Cup in 2017, um, raced the Junior Cup season in 2018, uh, Junior Cup season 2019, and then 2019, I raced New Jersey and Barber in Twins Cup, um, which I believe I got second, I got second in my first Twins Cup race at New Jersey, um, and I think a seventh at Barber, okay. and then in Junior Cup, that was my I believe I got fourth in the championship in 2019. And I think since I had a top five in 2018 as well, um, since I had gotten top five in the championship twice, I couldn't race junior cup again. Okay. And so I then took the step to twins cup uh, this past season and then planning to race um, at least some twins cup this season. Okay. Now um, why would, why the, uh, what do you call it, the switch to Junior Cup instead of Supersport? Um, I think mainly just the, the inexperience I have on a, on a 600. I already kind of done some, uh, some racing and twins on the, uh, on the SV and stuff and, and club racing and track days and such um, while I was racing Junior Cup. And so it kind of made sense already kind of having some experience where the 600 class is so competitive um, and I don't really have much experience on one. It just kind of made more sense to go Twins Cup. And, and I think it's a little bit cheaper. Um, it's a little bit uh, easier of a stepping stone, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but those SVs are still pretty fast. Um, everybody says, oh, what's the top speed? You know, that's always the question, right, from, from outsiders. How fast do you go? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I think this year actually at Road America, um, I know we hit over 140, which is crazy on the SV. You know, like especially like the you know a few years ago, a fast SV was 130, 
Yeah. You know, now we're pushing like well over 140. It's crazy to think those twins and now they had the the 600 or 1000 front ends and the big brakes, big uh double rotors and and all that stuff. It's like, you know, like literally like a a mini super bike. Yeah. Now, what about the bagger class? You're going to do that? Uh, I I wish. Uh, <laughs> I don't have anything lined up to to race the baggers, but it'd be it'd be really fun to I was even telling my dad the other day about how, you know, it'd be cool to to race something different. And there's actually a lot of money and stuff involved. They got a lot of a lot of attention. And even some some riders were, you know, talking to me and they're like, you know, well, how come they're getting like more exposure than us? And I was like, Did you not enjoy to watch it? I know I I made sure to, you know, go to the quarter screw to watch that one. And, you know, I'm racing the twins or whatever. So I know like if I'm that interested and I can't blame other people for for being you know interested in it you know maybe it's all, yeah it's all about entertainment value what do people want to watch what do you want to spend your time on do people even want to watch this podcast i don't know what do you guys want to see you know it's like what do people want um it's like what can you provide them and the the bagger class is new it's exciting it's like wow i've never seen those on track before that's kind of neat um those crashes are going to be a little different i'm sure but uh let's see it let's let's see what happens yeah, I think America's done a real good job with now they have, you know, the mini cup to the superbike and pretty much everything in between. And now I think know, they should have no... a senior cup, a senior, um, because I think it stops at 55. So, like, I'm not able to race in my prime. Um, I raced from or I was on track from uh, when I was 20 to 25. And uh, so, like, five years or so, not too long. And I think that uh, I'll be racing maybe from when I'm 30 to when I'm 75 or 80, right? So um, what am I going to do after I turn 55? Do I have to go back to club racing? Or is there going to be another class that opens up? Because what if I'm winning the championship at 55 and they say, oh, you you can't race next year because you're 56? Bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely crazy, though you know they have so many classes i think you know it's just opened up for you know as much time in the day they have you know like throughout the meet it'd be like a you know the race weekend it'll be a race week you know it's like full of racing and and i've even i even want to do like some some aft stuff eventually some like american flat track i do a good bit of flat track for training and stuff and and i love it. it's just like a lot of fun like any kind of racing is is racing you know it's all just you know, I love it the same. Of course, I had the most experience in road racing, so it makes the most sense to, you know, kind of stay in that route. But, but the, uh, like you're saying, you know, I like seeing all, all kind of racing at all levels. And that's kind of the, the best part that there's no, there's no limit except for the rules of the class. Like, yeah, nobody could tell you have to ride a certain way or do something like a, you know, any certain way, you just go ride and nobody really tell you what to do. Yeah, and, I, and I've been even following a lot of sports car stuff and open wheel, uh, Formula One. Obviously, they're not racing right now, but uh, IMSA and WEC uh, World Endurance Championship stuff. Uh, I love that. I love just watch the Rolex 24. I didn't watch all 24, but, you know, I saw they even had uh, the week before they had the Mazda MX-5 races. Um, you can watch oh. that on the NBC Sports app. I pay for that. It's like, a, I don't know, it's like 16 bucks a year. It's like nothing. Um, and you get the whole IMSA pass for the year. 
I don't know how much it is off the top of my head. <laughs> it might be something like that. But uh, it's fairly cheap, and uh, it's great. You get to watch all the races, the MX-5. Talk about patience, because those cars at Daytona, they're not pulling away. They're all drafting each other and <laughs> bumping each other, bumping, and they're getting penalties for bumping each other too much and too much extended contact because they're just on each other's ass the entire race. And it's all about no mistakes. And then the last lap is just a, a melee. And you got the guy who, who led out of the straightaway and led the entire race gets eighth place. And the guy who was in eighth place gets first because everybody's just drafting and it's just ridiculous. Um, I love that stuff. I love kart racing. I want to do, I want to seriously do kart racing at a, I think I could do it at a high level, just like motorcycle racing. I just need the money. So as soon as I sell enough for my business, I'm going to, I'm going to get back doing that. And, um, I never raced carts. I did a, a winter racing league for carts, but not, not really anything, um, at a high level. It's just the local track here. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely seems like the, the leading thing with motorsports is, is a lot, uh, financially kind of <laughs> yeah. what you can afford to do or not and pretty much and um, uh that seems to always be uh definitely a, a big factor especially now with there's not exactly a factory team even like in moto america uh there's about as close to it with you know the uh attack fresh and lean yamaha team but you know there's not a factory yamaha per se and not like you know yoshimura suzuki anymore yeah, so I mean, one of my questions I, I was asking people for a while is, are you privateer or factory? And and I talked to Bobby Fong, and he's not factory. So I mean, nobody's factory. Yeah. There might be two guys in the country, right? Yeah, which is crazy because even like, you know, Loris Baz coming over, you know, he's not even exactly factory here, you know? Yeah. There's no factory support. They don't, but the thing is, we're still riding their bikes. They don't need to. That's their idea. That's their perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's kind of, you know, I've noticed too, it, it seems in with a lot of the factory guys, it seems like a, a lot of budget goes into Supercross. Yeah. And I mean, I love Supercross and everything, but it'd be nice to see the, the same level, you know, so many competitive teams and Supercross, like in, in Meta America and stuff, you know, stuff like that. That definitely would be nice, and uh, um, to see that progression, just like they did in Supercross, and the changing of all the big sponsors coming in, um, I think that could happen. But they pack stadiums, right, on a regular basis. That's why they have that. And we, I don't know that Moto America does that pack. I don't think they pack stadiums yet. Um, you know, I don't normally go attend a lot of races because I'm working so much um, on my business, and I work a full time job. And I have, like I said, renters and all that, and uh, it's, it's a lot. So um, I watch a lot of races on TV, and usually if I'm going to go to a race, it's because I'm racing. You know, I don't, it's very yeah. rarely that I'll go watch a race. Uh, even, like, to go watch a Motor America race, it's like it's killing me because I, I should be out in that class. Um, but my friend is, and I'm watching, trying to support him, you know. So. Yeah, definitely for me, I – I mean, I enjoy being at the track, but it's definitely a kind of mixed emotion if I'm there and not racing. Yeah. It's just not, you know, like, you know, it's just not the, not the same. Yeah, for sure. So 
Yeah, I think in uh, two or three years, I'll be doing track days again. I want to do, I don't know about a season of track days. I think that might be excessive um, because I did actually, I was an expert racer and I earned my pro license. I just wasn't able to afford to use it um, back in 2015. And uh, so I should do, I think I do a couple of track days and then I'll do some wear racing. I don't know if I have to do novice again, um, but I, I don't think that'll take too long to get back up to expert. Um, Cause I'm still like, I'm still up at the same pace or faster, I think, than when I left off. I'm just not used to the bike anymore because I don't have a street bike at all. So I haven't been riding anything lately. Just my bicycle. I've been I switched over to uh, mountain bikes, so I've been racing mountain bikes for my training and and getting a lot of fitness with that. Um, but uh, I'm sure I'll pick it up just fine. I've been doing sim racing upstairs in my living room uh, with a legit uh, Formula One sim sim rig and with the pedals and the wheel and everything and it's it's awesome i went over to my buddy al's house i did a podcast with him he was one of the first one al zahui and uh man this is so much better we have the same pretty much the same wheel and base and pedals but his setup like i bought the cheapest um rig that i could put that i could find because i just wanted the best base and get a cheap um best wheel and get a cheap base and he got one of the best bases. He has the three monitors and uh, right. he's got, uh, it's just mine, mine rattles and goes back and forth. Like it shouldn't move. That's the, my biggest complaint is mine moves. The wheel moves and, and it shouldn't. And uh, it's frustrating when you're trying to have, you know, trying to find every 10th or hundredth of a second out there and your, and your setup is not uh, what you need it to be. Making mistakes because of it. Um, the pedal system, I just duct taped it in one in a place with some uh, with some gorilla tape. You know, it's it's not the best, but I can use it. And and uh, I've been playing this Formula One video game. I pretty much beat the Gran Turismo Sport, so I moved on to that. But he's got iRacing for for PC and Assetto Corsa, which is like legit esports. And I want to do that stuff because I think I could be competitive in the online esport with iRacing and the mm -hmm. Assetto Corsa Competizione is the, is the game. Yeah, that's crazy. Even with that stuff, like it's, it's pretty serious. Like from what I, from what I know, you know, um, you know, guys are making money off that stuff. And I mean, like, why not? You know, like yeah, it's, and, you know, it's uh, still competitive, you know, competitive racing, just, you know, and in a different, a different way. Yep. You're still getting your fix. It's just way cheaper. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really competitive and you get, you get, uh, there's a really big uh, part of community in these racing games where if you hit someone, it really matters and you get penalized and it's like disqualification immediately and <laughs> all this stuff. So they take it seriously. It's not like you're getting a rammed like you do in Gran Turismo all the time. Um, they try to separate those people out as best they can. So it should be more realistic. And, uh, man, there's so many settings on those games that you can change. It, it feels like you're driving a real car. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely crazy that I've always had the Moto GP games, everything. And, and actually, when I was – I went to the VR46 Master Camp um, in 2018, and some of the training I found out that the Moto2, Moto3 guys, Moto GP guys in the VR46 uh, Academy do is – is the simulator training and got to get on one of those. Um, 
And it was pretty crazy how real like, I felt like, you know, like I was sitting on just a straight Moto 2 bike. And, um, but of course, the physics are a little bit off, but I said they use it for, for physical training and some mind training and stuff, like playing videos from Masano and stuff. But it would kind of work, whereas you uh, pick up the throttle, the bike would kind of stand up. Okay. And as you let it off, the bike would kind of lay down. Yeah. So not exact the same physics, you know, but, but it was still pretty cool. Like, and, you know, I wish I had like more of those here. And uh, like, I wish I'd go to the arcade and get on, you know, Moto2 simulator and, you know, get to play around on it. Well, there you go. There's a gap in the market that's not fulfilled yet. There's your million dollar idea. You yeah. just gotta buy a whole bunch of them and sell them. Now I have to, we'll have to cut this part out of the idea come up with a, a business cut on this. <laughs> right. Hey, you know, I got so many ideas. Um, I can't do them all. So I'm giving them away. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like uh, Brandon Cretu, he just, uh, he was riding the Isle of Man. He did some Macau races, I think. And he uh, he's now a distributor for Ovale Bikes. And he's uh, selling them in the U.S. So like that's that's an opportunity he he took on, and uh, that's pretty cool. He's selling those those mini bikes now. Yeah, it's definitely always something. I'm always thinking too with my dad having the machine shop, and a lot of stuff we do is it's more like a job shop, and we kind of have uh, customers, you know, all year round, kind of like the same majority, like kind of the same parts. Um, but I'm always trying to think of something that that's a big need in racing for bikes or cars or anything like that, that, that we could fulfill where, uh, where it makes sense, you know, financially that we make money on that people are interested in at the same price and, and stuff like that. And, you know, if only I would have, if only I would have thought of uh, fidget spinners before they came out, we kind of made some, yeah. some pretty cool ones in the shop, but. So what's uh, the next, uh, the next tool you think for for race bikes you know is it going to be wings everybody's going to sell wings now for their bikes or is it like they have a driven mantis tire uh tire temperature sensor that you can put on and and gauge the temp uh, the temperature of your tire in real time on your dash you know something like that oh shit i haven't heard of that one yeah that'd be pretty, right pretty nice it's, it's already out and they've been selling it for a few years. You know, uh, I was just thinking because playing the sim rig at my buddy's house, um, he's got overlaid on his screen, um, his tire pressure and his uh, tire temperature and tire wear right on the screen. So you can see like, uh, man, one of the things I do wrong is uh, I overcook the, I mean, I'm really good in braking and I, I'm too good sometimes. And I try to, make up too much time in braking, right? So um, I end up locking up the tires sometimes in the car games. And I, I put too much pressure on the front tires so that I'm, I'm overcooking the fronts all the time. They're getting too hot. And even if I don't lock them up, they're getting too hot and the tire pressures are too high because it's, it's too much pressure on them. I need to use more of the rear tire out of the corner instead of always relying on, on the front end. So, so that's something that you see in these video games from, from the data that you get back. And if you have that in real time, you can see, oh, look, um, I'm putting too much stress on the front end here. I need to maybe not break so hard or, or break in a different way, right? So you're not over, overusing your tires, especially like in endurance racing or, 
or if you don't have the money to buy new tires all the time, that tire management is so important. Yeah, yeah. And one thing even uh, that's crazy. Like we had some electronics on the bike this year, and you know, I just I wanted all of it, like all the all the know, data, just because I, I like I want all the, all the buttons on the the bar and stuff, you know, but. It didn't exactly work out that way because just kind of some of the stuff didn't make sense for on the on the twins cut bike. Uh, but I definitely think that um, there's a lot of needs and like it seems like you know there's always stuff getting constantly developed. And one thing I've thought at you know in the future of if I take over my dad's machine shop and stuff, uh, trying to do something like Chuck Graves and you know put in a dyno room and you know, sell some machines, get a, a couple new lathes, a couple new mills, and uh, just do like research and development and take it to the track and test it and maybe even eventually start a team or something. So I'm still like involved with motorsport, even, you know, when my racing days are over or, uh, you know, or if for some reason something happens and I can't race, if, you know, it's just like the thing that I love to do and want to be a part and, you know, whatever way I can. Yeah, that's great. You know, I love the the love for motorsports, and uh, there's so many products. Again, talking about that, like, um, what if you had a keyless ignition device? Because that ignition is what eight to ten pounds or so. I mean, I'm sure you don't have an ignition on your race bike. Everybody takes them off. Um, so, what if you had just a, a button? But for street bikes, that's kind of dangerous, right? So you'd have to have some sort of like really lightweight locking system. Because the, the key that you, that's used, um, that's a huge uh, weight that's not good for the bike's performance. So that would be if you can find some sort of locking mechanism that's super cheap, maybe a digital keypad or a LCD screen would be like three ounces versus eight to 10 pounds. Um, that would be a, a cheap upgrade that people could do that if you made it a digital display, you could charge, I don't know, 50 bucks or something. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like pretty much like the dash could turn on with the switch and then you like you put in like the code per se or some kind of right. i've never thought about that that's pretty good so i don't know there's so many ideas out there but um just depends on what you want to do what you want to produce like one yeah, of the products sure. i sell is a mo tool suspension setup tool so it sets your sag normally to set your sag how many people do you need you need someone to hold the bike someone to sit on the bike and then someone to measure right? Yeah. This is a digital tool that you can all do it yourself by, by yourself. Um, and it's, it's awesome. So, um, it takes, uh, two people out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that is just anytime, any, any way you can save time and money and effort is, you know, especially the, the time, you know, if it's, you know, like, especially in that scenario, if you need to get the bike set up before a weekend and, you know, some people are hung up with something and you can't get the help, you know, like and you, you have to have it done. Right. You know, it's definitely stuff like that that makes the world a difference. Yep. And uh, going back to what you said about like starting a team, you know, I would love to uh, eventually sell enough for from Eric Spawn Racing um, that I can afford to have a team of my own, at least for me to start with. And then eventually branch out. Like if I'm, um, having more sponsors and, and that helps out and I'm selling more, like get a, get a teammate, 
you know, because that'll actually help me go faster, having somebody else to look at their data and compare notes with and all that stuff. Um, and then maybe get a junior cup rider, right? And then get a teammate for him. You know, how cool would that be um, to be able to do that and give back to the sport? Um, I don't know that it'd be able to, to pay for everything, right? But to be able to help out at least with, uh, with crew in place or transportation um, and logistics and all that, I think would be, would be so valuable to, to like a person like me five years ago would have loved that. You know, I, I was talking to team owners and, and seeing what rides it are, are out there, if, it, if, if any, you know, as an amateur becoming pro. And it's very difficult unless you have $100,000 to $150,000 in cash, um, they don't want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, tough right now. I've been real fortunate to have um, a lot of good people lead me in the right way. And, and um, you know, like even at the very least, you know, if, um, with my dad's help and everything and, and uh, been able to race every year in, in at least uh, a pretty competitive package, um, or at least always, you know, doing the best that I can. And last year was kind of the first year that I kind of paid for, you know, my costs, like on my own, like I said, like, you know, without my dad paying for the stuff and definitely realized how much the stuff is. And, you know, it'd be getting up at four to go in the machine shop on the race weeks to try and get in as many hours before the weekend or whatever it is and, and hope to come out with a, you know, a good result to help put towards the next round. And, um, but I just know that it's definitely all very worth it and that, uh, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything, you know, putting in the work and stuff, definitely, you know, I kind of take like some pride in that and being able to say that I did the year, you know, not on my own, of course, the team helped a tremendous amount, but, you know, knew that I was able to come up with the stuff, you know, my part on my own and everything. You know, um, for a long time, I was really bitter and angry that it was so expensive as a sport, but in hindsight, I think it's actually, I don't know if it's a good thing, but it definitely weeds out a lot of people um, who are just half-assing it, who don't care about it. They're not going to stay in it, right? It, it's a level of dedication and passion you have to have to, to be able to stay in it. And, um, and for me, I would have never started a business, I don't think, if, if I didn't need the money, right? And so, yeah, I, could, I can work a normal job and be great and make a decent amount of money like I'm making right now. And, and I don't need to have two, three jobs, <laughs> but I choose to because um, I need to make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to do what I want to do. Um, and I'm never going to do that at the job that I have. It's not, not going to happen. Um, not for a lot of people. So you got to think outside the box and be an idea man and, and execute. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely been real cool to kind of so hear like your story and see how things came about. So I feel like that, that definitely adds some value, like seeing how everything started up. Cause I'd always, you know, see your stuff, but I wasn't necessarily always looking for parts. So maybe I didn't, you know, look into it as much, you know, but it's definitely, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, you have a lot of the essentials there already, you know, for guys that, you know, anybody watching this now, right, uh, yeah. you know, if you have some street bikes and, you know, looking to get started, you know, the, and I mean, I'd say one of the first place to start is, you know, aside from a set of tires, there's some tire warmers and some tank grips and, and stuff like that. It's all right there. Yeah, for sure. And it's, 
Um, it's great to sell the products that I used to use. You know, it's like I actually use these use these products and I can talk about them. And um, sure, in some cases, it might have been a different brand, but I know this stuff and it's it's good. And and uh, I wouldn't sell you some crap. You know, I did start with uh, the how I started selling on online in general was when I was about. Uh, um, I was very young. I started my own store online and years ago when I was like 10 years old, 12, I don't know. And it didn't really work out, but I started a store and I was like, now I have a store, but I have no money to advertise it. And social media wasn't around. Um, and so I just kind of, I, I sold a few tiny things for a few dollars and, and then I just lost interest because I realized I couldn't afford to, to advertise for it. Um, and then um, I was laid off from a job and I was selling all my old takeoff tires. Uh, uh, I was selling takeoff tires. All the ones that I used, I realized I sold on Craigslist, like with no problem. Um, and I was like, man, there's something here. So I was, I was laid off from this job and um, I was like, I'm gonna take the, all the stuff I was gonna list on Craigslist. Well, I still put it out there, but I also put it on eBay now. And then once it was on eBay, I could sell it all around the world instead of just to the local Detroit community. Um, so I realized, wow, there's something here. Let me start selling everything that I can get my hands on. What do I have around the house? I have books of CDs I don't need anymore. Let's go through the attic. I don't need all this stuff. Let's sell these electronics, this Game Boy, this old cell phone, this old stereo system, this old laptop, you know, guitars, trombone, my cousin's trombone. I started doing commission and consignment. So my, my old friends stuff that they don't need anymore, um, they would give me things to sell and I'd send them a check when it sells for a percentage. You know, I'd take a percentage, they'd take a percentage, depending on how much it was. And uh, that worked out for a little while. And um, I'm still doing that, but I'm really not trying to take on any more stuff because I have too much. I still have stuff my buddy gave me months ago. I haven't inventoried yet, sorry. <laughs> and. Uh, but uh, what's really started to take off is uh, drop shipping. So all these vendors that I have, like Driven and Cormoto, I don't have their products here. Uh, they send me their inventory, their spreadsheets, and I work magic and, and do a lot of hours in spreadsheets and Excel, um, getting it in a certain format to upload to eBay and Amazon and, and my own website. And so once it's on there, they can, they can buy them and we link our inventories together. Some of them don't have inventory outputs like Driven and M4 are manufacturers. They always have everything pretty much. Um, other vendors like, like um, Roland Sands Designs or Moto D, they have live inventory feeds that we have to link to. And sometimes they don't link properly and it's a pain in the butt. Um, like right now, one of the feeds is not linking and the inventory is wrong. Sorry if you buy it uh, because there's thousands of items and I can't go through each one individually. It's just, it's just not reasonable or realistic. So if you have 10 items, yeah, it's easy to do that. But when you have 10,000, you can't do it that way. It's just not possible. So um, you have to do it in batches and in, in large inventory feeds like this. So I've been doing that for a few, for I guess five, six years now, uh, selling stuff online. And uh, I mean, I started selling CDs on eBay with, in my parents' account in like 07 when I was pretty young. So I've been doing all of the online stuff for quite a while now and just trying to 
um, make Eric Spawn Racing really grow. And I want it to be my full-time gig so I can quit my job eventually and, and really um, spend more time on it because it's, it's a struggle right now, to be honest. It's, it's, it's very difficult to uh, work a full-time job and come home and try to run a business and try to make it excel and do podcasts during the week at all kinds of times. You know, I'm happy to do it because it's, it helps advertising and all this stuff, but it's just a lot of um, effort and motion. So trying to uh, eventually do well, at least one job would be nice, not have to do multiple, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I think I've, you know, got to see kind of firsthand with my, my dad started his machine shop and of course I wasn't old enough when he started, um, in like 2000, um, to see everything unfold. But, you know, from the stories he had told me about, how um, uh, he was working at the Roush Yates racing, uh, NASCAR team machining there. And then just kind of slowly like bought a machine. And then once he kind of got a couple jobs and then he just kind of, you know, just kind of like screw it and just kind of, you know, quit up there. I was tired of the the hour drive there and back every day. And then, and then I was like, well, we're going to make this work one way or another. Um, but of course, you know, for a while there, you know, he was working there and then building the shop at the same time. And then you know, like you're talking about trying to, trying to start something while trying to, to keep what pays the bills too, until, until the, the new gig can pay the bills and, and get the stuff done. For sure, yeah. It's uh, I I would recommend anybody and everybody really, even if they have a great job, is is do something on the side to eliminate the need for your job. Like, imagine if you didn't have to go to your job. Would you want to go there for fun? Do you love going there? Is that is that fun to you? If it's fun, then great. Then now you have two incomes. You know, if one goes away, it's not a it's not a problem. Your life isn't shattered. But if if one goes away and you only have one income, your life is ruined. And for a period, maybe uh, like so many people have now lost their jobs. Um, millions of people. I don't even know the number of people that are unemployed now. Like um, racing is a very fickle thing, right? So you gotta you gotta be careful. And if you're if machine is is your thing, um, or maybe coming up with product ideas. Uh, is your thing then then uh, do that too yeah for sure yeah I definitely love the you know it seemed kind of similar to you with just trying to you know keep money flowing and you know especially for racing but also like you said if something happens or whatever you know, don't want to don't have all the eggs in one basket and uh it's definitely nice to have that you know and and even if you know the business or whatever doesn't start out great from the beginning at least the experience and learning and trial and error you know until it does but because I mean obviously at least you're doing something right I mean I see you on my page and stuff and now we're sitting here now like you know it's working. I definitely see it, it's at least working <laughs> it's good to hear um so I think you know one of your expertise that you can cash in and is you're a professional motorcycle racer so you could do coaching easily because you're already a, a pro at it um, you just got to get the right clientele and set up a track day or a cart track day. Who knows? Maybe a parking lot tra track day. Yeah. Yeah. I've done a little bit of that in the past and definitely want to, you know, but I think like anything, like you said, definitely, you know, take some effort to start up. 
because uh, I think it, the more effort I would put into it would definitely get more out of it. Because I think lately, I mean, I have done it here and there, but I think if I took it a lot more serious, I could see a lot more return on it. Um, and it definitely helps too, even getting to instruct some like corner spin and stuff. Definitely, um, Aaron has taught me a lot and everything, and and kind of taught me how to teach. And I yeah. think that that's kind of one thing that I would like to do in the future as well. Of course, like yeah, you know, we both have all these ideas. It's hard to pick and choose which ones to put the effort into. That's that's definitely one as well that that would work out well with what the experience like I already have. Well, I guess just uh, don't write anything down and whatever you remember tomorrow, just do that. Yeah, for sure. Because right, whatever that whatever you remember is what really matters and whatever sticks in your mind. Yeah. Um, so uh, is there anything you wanted to talk about today? What's on your uh, mind? I don't know. I just kind of been going with the flow. It seems like you said, it seems to kind of work the, work the best just kind of going with it and i drank a red bull earlier so that helped me i'll hype that helped get me going are you a uh a caffeinated person like uh most of the time not i'm not like a crazy coffee person um and i try not to drink like too many energy drinks but i gotta say that the the coconut edition red bulls are are it for me especially when i'm driving of course that's the silver right yeah, of course, you know, with uh, racing, it's a lot of driving. I've drove, like, a, you know, from South Carolina to California a few times, and I don't know what it is about the Red Bull, but it gets me it gets me going pretty good if I'm a little groggy in the morning or whatever it is. I feel like you got to support the, the company who supports the sport so much, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it doesn't hurt, and... Uh... I think I heard you say that Monster was not sponsoring Yamaha this year. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that it might be some new news to people who don't uh, keep crazy up to date with that. But it's actually um, this year is the attack racing fresh and lean Yamaha that Josh Heron kind of brought in the fresh and lean. And so now it'll be Josh Heron and Jake Gagne um, there, which is kind of crazy to see that Monster not involved this year well i mean maybe they're doing uh rider sponsorship but maybe not a full team sponsorship yeah yeah i don't know um all the details with that stuff but i'm sure that they wouldn't just completely cut dry out of everything but i also heard rumors but i'm not sure so don't like quote me on it but i think the Moto gp yamaha team isn't monster energy either oh wow um, i may be wrong yeah. Well, I'm sure. I mean, think about uh, how many people didn't go and buy gas and go to the convenience store because they're uh, at home. They're not working or they're working from home um, and doing remote. So they're not even driving in their car. Like the roads, it's, it's so strange. I'm going in, into work every day. Um, I have to physically be there um, to print paperwork and talk to drive truck drivers and direct people to different places. So I always have to go in. I can't work remotely, unfortunately. Um, but it seems like most days ebb and flow with the traffic. Uh, I'm in Sterling Heights, Michigan, so I'm going from Pontiac to Sterling Heights, back and forth, and through on the highway. And uh, some days it's like there's no traffic. Some days it's medium traffic, but some days it's dead and there's like nobody on the road. Like what what's different about today? What changed? 
it, <laughs> um, yeah. it just seems so strange. And I'm going home at the same exact time every day, and it changes so much um, who's, how many people are on the road. Yeah, it's definitely been crazy how much the um, everything has changed because of Corona and stuff, you know, aside from from even the racing stuff. Yeah, to even just like daily traffic and and stuff like that. And now now, you know, like masks are are just normal, you know, where before I can't think of any time I saw anybody wear a mask anywhere. Like Maybe it, and a now it's, people here and there, but nothing like you see today. And it feels I feel so strange putting a mask on right before I go into a business. I'm like, am I going to rob this place? <laughs> yeah. The, actually, one of my uh, co-workers at my dad's shop, uh, or if anyone wants to check it out, Finish Line Machine out of Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, but one of the guys there, DJ, was like, yeah, I never thought I'd walk into a bank with a mask on. <laughs> you it know, feels and, strange. And not, not robbing the bank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, strange times we have here. Um, but uh, let's do a little sponsor shout out seg segment here. Um, tell me about who's who's your uh, sponsors on board still for this year and uh, what can you tell me about them? Yeah, so I'm still kind of working out majority um, of stuff right now. So I don't have a whole lot to talk about, um, but definitely uh, HJC Helmets. I've been with them for the last uh, couple of seasons and uh, really love their stuff. And, you know, they've always been real, real good to me and keep me in the, you know, the ni nicest helmets, you know, especially they have the the Marvel and DC, you know, contracts and stuff with Pixar. And, and so they always have, you know, real cool designs and they're the number one selling helmet in the world. But, I think, um, you know, what says, model do you run? Um, I run the Arfa 11 Pro um and i believe that there is a new helmet that we kind of been wearing before that wasn't re wasn't released yet that's uh will be coming out this year um so that's pretty exciting uh with them coming out with a a new helmet and like a new design and um and aside from that you know one of my biggest sponsors or you know is kind of like my dad's business finish line machine uh you know brought me brought me into racing and you know got me this far and um so definitely you know a big a big shout out to them and yeah I work for them and then he helps me out and everything you know all the above there That's awesome. and then uh, the majority of the stuff I'm I'm still trying to to get through you know I haven't it's not the first time I've been in this situation where it's you know about two months away from season start and don't really have an exact plan um that seems to be how racing goes most of the time, you know, real last minute, you know, I'm sure we'll be getting the bike together, you know, the week before the race or whatever it is, Oh yeah. you know, but uh, they'll be racing one way or another. That's good to see. And uh, future plans, you're going to be racing in Moto America, uh, hopefully the twins cup class for a few rounds at least. And uh, what are your, what do you want to do in the future? What is your, what is your uh, journey look like? You think? Yeah, so this year I'm looking at yeah, like the select Middle America rounds, most likely the East Coast stuff at least, um, along with the N2 uh, slash Weir Endurance stuff. Okay, you didn't uh, do the whole series for that or try to? Trying to, yeah. The, it's, it's not like exactly official 
um, but it's looking very, very likely. Um, so I feel pretty sure I'll be at all, all those rounds, um, except there's one conflicting round with Moto America. So there might be a decision there one way or another, kind of depending on, on each thing. Um, you get more track time with the endurance, but you get more TV time with the Moto America. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, all kind of give it, give and take there. Um, and then kind of looking forward from there, I'd, I'd really like to start, start my own team. Um, I kind of like a privateer effort. Like I'd like to kind of transfer into, to me owning the bikes and, and having, you know, like a mechanic and stuff and, and kind of running my own show. Cause I feel like I have some, I've been learning a lot more with marketing and advertising and, and feel like I can put together a really good package. Um, but I just need more time. This year, I, I learned a lot this past off season, but was kind of started a little late on it. And so I'm looking for in the future, of, for the next season, like, you know, 2022, starting, you know, way earlier and trying to put together a program. And I think that with all the experience I've learned, you know, especially from my dad racing before me and all the people that I've met, I could uh, run a pretty decent team for myself. Uh, you know, probably, of course, start out with just me, you know, even like you were talking about, you know, it's easier to start with with lower uh, variables and then maybe work up to something bigger. Right. You don't have to buy 16 bikes all at once. You just need one to start with and then hopefully you get a B bike, you know, and then uh, then a teammate if, if you can. Now, a teammate is an interesting proposition because they could bring money. They could also bring sponsors or they could be a championship contender, right? And they could now bring a ton of clout or respectability to your team. So imagine you get like um, the runner up or the championship winner to be on your team. Now he could bring a lot over to your team in terms of maybe mechanics or, or you know, it, it might be maybe better to get a teammate sooner rather than just doing your yourself. Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot yeah, of things yeah. to think about, a lot of op options, and um, there's no wrong way to do it. I mean, there's a lot of people who did it before, like Elena Myers. She had her own team and, and did McGraw Power Sports, I think was her title sponsor. Um, so, I mean, it, it's doable. You just you got to be ambitious and make tons of phone calls and get about 7,000 no's before it's going to happen. But it, it can happen. Yeah, for yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, so I, I think we're about an hour and a half right now. Um, I still have some orders to ship today. Um, so let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. Is there any parting words you want to say today? Um, I really appreciate you having me on. It was, it was a nice time. I always get a little nervous for a little, you know, like interview thing, but it was real, I think everything went real smooth. I don't think we really had much any mess ups and yeah, I just appreciate you having me on and it was nice getting to talk with you and kind of, you know, get to meet you kind of virtually. And, and, you know, you know, it seems like we already kind of share some stuff alike, at least with the motorsport stuff and for sure, keep in contact and for everybody watching, I appreciate everybody, you know, hopefully everybody made it this far and uh, maybe learned something, maybe not, but at least, you know, enjoyed the, the conversation and, and everybody go check out ericswanracing.com. I appreciate it, along man. With, along with jacksonblackmanracing.com. <laughs> yeah, so tell everybody, where can they find you online? Are you on YouTube, Instagram? Where are you? 
Yeah, so at Instagram, it's uh, at jblackman underscore 18. Um, same for Twitter, and then Jackson Blackman Racing on Facebook and jacksonblackmanracing.com, uh, which is kind of website with my information and, and with new news and stuff like that. And uh, are you putting out videos on YouTube or anything? Um, I do have a YouTube channel under Jackson Blackman. I'd like to get some more content onto uh, soon because um, I have at least a start there. Um, but I'm looking to try and make some more, make some some kind of vlogs or videos at some point this year. Yeah, I see guys like uh, Nolan Lampkin. He's been putting out tech tips and all kinds of stuff about you know how to clean your brakes or you know uh, cupcake trays sometimes, like all kinds of stuff, like whatever you use around the track that people don't know about. It's, it's knowledge, uh, knowledge that people need or, or they don't have. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we, should, we should definitely plan to, to do something again sometime or if we see each other at the track or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, let's say when you get your first Twins Cup win, let's come on back on here and we'll talk about it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right, man. Well, I'm going to uh, spend some time editing this. I still have a few that I have to do in the queue before this. Um, so it'll take me a week or two to get this published and edited, but um, make sure you, when I do that you share it and we tag everybody we talked about so we can get as many eyeballs as possible on it. And um, thanks everybody for watching and have a great day. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right, man. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.